You know, it's just the way that we mark time. Something, ma- I mean, December the 31st is the same as January 1. There's nothing magical that happens uh, overnight. And uh, what I found is that New Year's Eve used to be such a great holiday, and then you turn 25, and all of a sudden it's like, what? <laughs> this is it? And you, you sort of long uh, to be in bed uh, at 10 o'clock. But we make resolutions, don't we? We decide, okay, this is the year that I am going to uh, fill in the blank. Uh, But if you're anything like me, uh, what you find is um, you make the resolution and then less than a week later you eat the entire cheesecake. Uh. Uh, And we do make resolutions. uh, And normally they're good. Like uh, I need uh, to lose weight. Uh, I need to quit smoking. Uh, I need uh, to be more of something. I need to be a better husband. I need uh, to spend more time with my family. Uh, But what we find in New Year's resolutions is the moment that we make it a resolution, uh, the moment that we find ourselves more incapable of keeping them. Uh, A survey was done several years ago uh, by uh, the American Cancer Association, or National, what's the name of the big cancer group? American, yeah. Thank you. Uh, They did a big survey, and they found that people were more likely to quit smoking because of chronic bad breath and not cancer. Cancer was number two. People were more more likely to quit smoking over chronic bad breath than they were over cancer. Why? Because that's our nature, right? New Year's resolutions are normally about self-improvement. How can I already improve on my bronzed Adonis-like body? Right. Uh, I, I don't know how. And the thing is, you know, everybody says that they, they need to lose weight, right? Everybody needs it. Normally, that is the New Year's thing. Like, I, I went, uh, I had to go to the doctor when I was in college once, and I ran into a nurse that I really don't like. And it was my first time in the office, and I had a sinus infection. And uh, the nurse uh, asked me, uh, how tall are you? And I said, five feet, nine inches. And I'm actually a little bit taller than that, but I... You know, that, that helps keep me in check a little bit. And, uh, and she says, okay, well, step on up on the scale. And I said, well, can I just tell you how much I weigh? And she says, no, I think you'd lie about that too. Um, <laughs> and I stepped up on the scale, and she says, yeah, she's putting the little thing over. Uh, the holidays hit us all a little hard this year. And I thought, I hope you get hit by a train. Um, <laughs> But the fact of the matter is she was only saying what I was thinking, right? She was only saying what I was thinking. And, and we've all had the experience of looking at a photograph, and you look at it and you think, ugh, I look terrible. And then five years later, you look at the same photograph and you think, I'd kill to look like that. <laughs> um, well, it's, it's really a matter of perspective. And, uh, you know, when it comes to self-improvement, we're never, ever going to be uh, at a loss for ideas about how to improve ourselves because we all need improving. But the problem uh, with resolutions, and even if we just look at the word uh, resolution, uh, a resolving, right, uh, we're looking for a solution, a way that we might be able to solve the problem uh, that we think that we have. And often what we really need to be uh, trying to solve and what we really try to solve are two different things. But in both cases, you find yourself incapable of actually making much headway. Now, it, it is true, uh, I think, uh, in the case of things like weight loss, uh, you can lose weight. Absolutely, you can lose weight. Uh, my mother-in-law wants to write a cookbook, uh, and a diet book, and it's one page, and it's called Shut Your Big Mouth. Um, and that is her sort of solution to dieting. Um, and, you know, it's big business. And if any of the diet books, books worked, why would anyone have to write another one? 
right? If it worked, we could just stop. Uh, but the problem is, uh, is we we don't stop, and we all continually need uh, to. Obviously, you're you're seeing where my bruise is in my life, um, but uh, you can lose weight, and you can make that happen. But how much weight loss is enough? Just a little more, right? Just a little more. Just when you you sort of think that you've reached your goal, well. I think uh, I need to lose just uh, a little bit more. And people will put, them through, put themselves through some really, uh, really crazy things uh, in order uh, to make that happen. And it is really easy um, to judge folks uh, who make those New Year's resolutions uh, and stick by them. Isn't it? You know, I, I kind of, you know, don't you hate when you go out to a restaurant and it's a good restaurant and you have someone with you that's dieting? Right or or you know they ask all the questions like does it have you know was this cinnamon grown in Saigon um, because I can't have it if it was uh, all those questions and yeah my grandmother had a prayer and still does on her refrigerator that says Lord make me thin or all of my friends fat uh, and that that's kind of the way that it goes but um, you know. It really drives us nuts, and we really want to, to judge those people uh, who make New Year's resolutions. Uh, but it's very clear that we are pointing out the speck in our own eyes, um, or pointing out the plank in the, uh, the speck in their eyes, without pointing out the plank in ours. And just as a little aside about that teaching, uh, that little phrase uh, that Jesus gives us about judgment uh, has been misinterpreted through the years. What Jesus was saying is that it is about perspective. It's about perspective. It's not an excuse to say, don't, you know, don't judge me. Uh, what it is, is, have you ever had anything in your eye? Right? Have you ever got a little tiny speck of dust? When you get a little tiny speck of dust in your eye, what does it feel like? It feels like there is a plank in your eye. And so what Jesus is saying is, you should be just as sensitive to what is in your eye as to what is in your neighbor's eyes. He's not saying your sin is so much greater than your neighbor's, but what he's saying is that the sin has the same effect. Right? What is agitating you about your neighbor and your friend uh, at lunch ought to be agitating to you uh, about yourself. Uh, and so what Jesus is trying to do in that um, teaching is to give us some perspective. And again, when we resolve to do something to set out to uh, make a solution uh, to our problems, it normally is all well and good, and it's something that we should um, you know, think about. Uh, but the more that I think about it, uh, the more I think that the best thing that could probably happen to us in our New Year's resolutions is that we fail. Is that we fail. Uh, and that is so that when we fail, we can say, I don't have the power in and of myself uh, to help myself, and uh, therefore... Uh, I need someone to save me. Now, you'll say, well, weight loss, Andrew, and quitting smoking, those are not issues uh, of salvation. Uh, but we do make idols out of them, don't we? And we think, you know, my life would be great if only I could quit this. Or my life would be great if only I could improve myself uh, in this area. My life would be complete. Uh, and this is ingrained in our DNA uh, and we experience this throughout our lives. You remember when you're in elementary school and you go to gym class and it's time to pick teams for dodgeball? What do you think? Please, God, please just don't let me get picked last, right? 
Uh, that's what you think. And you delight in the fact that there's somebody else in your group class that you know is a lot worse than you are. And so you hope that they get picked last. And then you kind of move on to middle school and you go through the experience of the lunch table. Right? You want to sit at the cool lunch table, don't you? And you just long for the day that you get invited to the cool lunch table. And in all these things, you think, if only I could make it to the cool lunch table, as long as I don't get picked last, then everything's going to be great. And then you move on to high school. And you think, uh, Lord, uh, make sure that my parents are smart enough and wise enough to let me drive a cool car and not a 1981 Chevrolet pickup truck, uh, which is what I drove, uh, where you turn the headlights, the high beams on on the floor. And the really bad joke in my family was when I finally got upgraded from the 81 pickup was why is Andrew having a hard time with his new car because he keeps trying to change the high beam, get his, getting his feet tangled up in the steering wheel. Okay, I, all the pre-1981 people know what I'm talking about. Um, and then, you know, you get to college. I want to get in the right fraternity. I want to get in the right sorority. I mean, you would have thought at the University of Virginia that the world was coming to the end from the shrieking and wailing on bid day. Uh, sororities, you know, more than, than fraternities. But it was, you know, and they thought, my life is officially over. <coughs> and then you graduate. And, you know, you're interviewing with McKenzie and Bain and uh, going to, you know, applying to graduate schools and all that stuff. And, you know, you've got to get into the right program. You've got to work for the right people. And uh, then uh, you get married and you get older and you have to live in the right neighborhood. Uh, you have to be a member of the right club. And, um, and I guess one day, you know, you'll get to the point where you've got to get into the right retirement home. I don't know. Uh, about, which I think is true. Um, but uh, all that to say is... It never ends. Right? It never ends. There's always something on the horizon that you think, if I could just have this one thing, uh, then all would be well. Then things would be right and good. But the moment that you get it, normally what happens is you look at it and you think, that's it? I got in a lot of trouble once in Buford, um, just once, uh, in preaching. I was preaching uh, the baccalaureate service for uh, a school in the area. And um, I did my undergraduate at the University of Virginia, and I got my graduate degree at Oxford, and I looked at them and I said, do you know what that means? Absolutely nothing. And then I made some side remark, which I'm prone to do, about England. And I said, you know, England was great for what it was, but I couldn't wait to get back to the United States for good weather, good food, and good-looking women. And, um, and there were some English people sitting in the congregation. <laughs> um, uh, but my feeling was, hey, you moved here. <laughs> you know? Hello. Um, uh, uh, but so I have to be careful um, because people do make an idol out of things. And even though you know I use humor to kind of laugh them away, they're very real. And um, but in the ultimate scheme of things, when we do in the cases where we actually accomplish them, it never seems quite enough. We haven't lost enough weight. Uh, we haven't attained all the uh, accolades that we feel like we need to have in order uh, to. Um, to accomplish and to be seen as we would like to be seen uh, in our world. And it is easy uh, to judge folks who, who do strive after those things. In and of themselves, they're great. Uh, I would really uh, love to lose a little bit more weight. And for those of you who struggle with smoking, um, uh, God bless you. You know, I see the huddled masses in Birmingham uh, smoking outside of their office buildings, and it makes me want to start smoking. Right? You see them and you think, Golly, and uh, you know, if you want to see the power of addiction, uh, there you go. Um, but you know, uh, our addiction to success and um, our avoidance of failure is no different from those who struggle with addiction uh, to cigarettes. 
And in the world uh, we live in today, uh, you know, I am always very fearful when people make uh, declarative uh, pronouncements. Uh, when they say, uh, this is how I am and this is what I'm going to be. Because if that is laid on somebody, and up till now I've been talking about your own personal choices when it comes to New Year's resolutions. Uh, When it's laid on the shoulders of your loved ones, your children, um, your friends, uh, that's uh, when uh, it does get hairy. And I don't know what it is. And I'm going to preach about this on Ash Wednesday. And I'm sure that'll be the last Ash Wednesday um, that I'll ever be asked to preach. Uh, because I, you know, I don't necessarily believe in giving up things for Lent, just as, a, as, a, to cl- as if you did, couldn't tell that already. Um, but, um, you know, when... Um, but I see it especially, you know, I do think the best thing that can happen is if you give up something uh, to come crashing down because it shows you your need for a savior. But what I worry about in the world that we live in is that we see people who make resolutions and their reaction to it is so strong uh, that it's almost not to be believed. And I'm thinking about Miley Cyrus right now. Remember Miley Cyrus? Well, you might remember her dad and his achy, breaky heart. And uh, he's the grandfather of country line dancing, right? He's, he started it all. And, uh, and just when you thought, thought that he was gone for good, he has this daughter, Miley Cyrus, who really uh, took over um, the culture of, what, late elementary school? Right? If you have daughters, Miley Cyrus is, is a big deal. Hannah Montana is her alter ego on the television. And uh, she was somebody that you thought, this is who I want my children to emulate. She's fun. She's innocent. You know, you, can, you feel good letting your children watch that television show. Uh, she and others started to do the silver ring thing. Do you know what that is? Where uh, young girls, uh, and even, uh, well, girls that were not married, women that were not married, they would put a, a silver ring on their um, wedding uh, band finger to say, I'm going to wait until marriage uh, before I have sex. Right? A good thing. Right? A good thing. And she was this m- role model. And then all of a sudden, one day, what happens? The ring comes off, and she is, Ginger, you know what I'm talking about. The ring comes off, and she's dancing on tables and acting like a total nut uh, in in L.A. Uh, And people will say, but whatever happened to the old Miley, right? As if the new Miley is not the same as the old Miley. But what she was feeling was the pressure uh, that was put on her in her life to be such a, a role model and to do everything so right and to make these resolutions that I resolve that this is what I'm going to do, that she finally couldn't help it anymore and broke free in a crazy way. Right. Now, most of us don't have that option of being as crazy as Miley Cyrus because you know, we don't, we're not multimillionaires several times over. Maybe you are, I'm not. And I just can't pick up and go bar hopping in, in L.A. I mean, I guess I could in Irondale, but um, <laughs> I can't do it here. Uh, and so what we're saying is in, in our culture, the power uh, of what happens is when you're confronted with the law, uh, one of two things happens. Uh, one, you're absolutely crushed, which is what we want to see happen. Right? That's the, the purpose of the law is to crush you. It's not actually to help you lose weight. Uh, uh, there is a, a great uh, Lauren and I go round and round about, um, you know, I'm a big, if I want to lose weight, I'm a dieter. And Lauren exercises. And I'm pretty sure that um, if you run, you're only going to die tired. So, uh, um, and so, um, so when she would, uh, when she would talk about our bodies being a temple of the Holy Spirit, I would quote to her 1 Timothy 4.8, which says, for physical training, is of some value. Uh, but godliness has value for all things. Um, 
so we go round and round and round about it. But I find that when I run, and especially when I run with my wife, even though she's being very sweet and very kind, I find that the only thing that is fueling me down the road is anger <laughs> and hate. And just to get it. Now, I don't know. That may not be. For some people, running is a total release. It helps them relax. And, and it's great. Uh, but there is something in your life that when you do it, the only way that you're getting through it is hate and anger. And, and you, you know, there, there's a part of you that just wants it done and over with. And hopefully that is uh, what your resolution does to you. It brings you to the place uh, where uh, you uh, can say, uh, that's it. Uh, I fought the law and the law won and I'm finished. But what it can also do, what it can also do is it can cause you to hate and fuel you to so rebel against it uh, that you are even incapable uh, of hearing anything. This is, uh, and this is scary because you all have people in your own lives who you love and care for who you wonder, what is rock bottom for them? Right? Just when you think, oh goodness, they've hit rock bottom, they haven't. Uh, they haven't. Um, you know, for some of us, uh, and I think part of it is disposition. Look, there are several of you in here who are just naturally predisposed to being nice and being disciplined. Like there are some of you who just are regimented by your disposition. Um, uh, I am not. Uh, and uh, even those of you who are regimented hopefully still understand that you're not in control of things. Uh, but there are those uh, who the bottom is not that far. Right? That, uh, that something happens and, and that's enough to jolt you and to get your attention. But for the Miley Cyruses of the world, uh, when the law has been applied to them, uh, it's going to take a whole lot. It's going to take. I mean, this is why Winona Ryder shoplifts. This is why. Who's uh, gender? Help me. Who's um, not that I'm. You're our, my cultural guru here. Uh, who's the one uh, who was on the remake of um, uh, the Parent Trap? Thank you, Lindsay Lohan. All right, Lindsay Lohan. Another a great. The Olsen twins, right from uh, Full House. Here are all these, uh, and I'm not just picking on girls. They're just the ones that are in the news. Um, you know, these role models who have rebelled in such a way that uh, there's no reason for them uh, to shoplift. They can buy whatever it is they're shoplifting. And yet uh, what they have is uh, they're really getting in touch with what the law has done uh, to them, and they are running from it uh, headlong. And uh, children will often do this if they've grown up in a house that they thought was oppressive and that they were under the thumb of a parent. Uh, they move to Seattle. Right. Uh, they moved to Montana, where Heidi Kinner is. And um, <laughs> praise, right? praise the Lord for Heidi. Um, uh, they moved far, far away. And you don't hear from them again. And you don't hear from them again. And um, so what do we do for those people? Uh, what do we do? Well, uh, in some ways, the law still has not done its work on some of those folks. Like they actually do need to be b- brought even lower. And if you're a mom or a dad in a situation like that, a prophet's never honored in their hometown. And so, um, you know, everything that you say is going to be perceived uh, as law, um, but it's not going to be the law that needs to do its work on your children. Uh, Or uh, if you're a friend, um, you know, they walk into the room and they say, I already know what you're going to say and I don't want to hear it. Um, But those who have been crushed, uh, what they need to hear uh, is the gospel. Uh, They don't need, uh, when they're struggling with their New Year's resolution, uh, to be told, you know, have you tried this? 
And have you tried this angle of it? You know, what I found is the cabbage diet is very helpful. Um, you know, that is the worst advice you could ever give. And really, it's not uh, what they want to hear. It's honestly uh, the opposite of what they need to hear. Um, I always feel very good. Uh, the past uh, few Christmases, we've seen Lauren's uh, family and... Um, and uh, there is uh, a member uh, of our family uh, who uh, normally is incredibly thin. And she's perfectly healthy. She's just a, a thin girl. And uh, this last Christmas, I noticed that uh, she, I know she's not listening, so I can say this. Uh, she's, she's put on a couple pounds. And, uh, and Lauren said, hey, she's, she's looking good. And I said, yes, yeah, I, I think that if a college girl uh, can allow herself to put on a couple pounds, she understands the gospel. I mean that in all seriousness. I mean, if, if she can do that, uh, then she understands uh, the gospel. But the hardest thing is when you are encountering someone or you yourself in a situation and simply allowing the law to do its work. Because for uh, Lindsay Lohan and uh, for um, the Olsen twins and for Miley Cyrus, uh, one is we are quick to start pointing out specs, right? Uh, that's one, and just to turn up the law. But the other end is also, you know, um, and we've all seen this happen uh, in children and parent and uh, relationship with their parents, is to um, is to show the go- them the gospel too soon, uh, so that what it becomes is a license to continue down the road that they're on. Now, unfortunately, Jesus is the only one who had the ability to be able to discern when to apply the gospel and when to apply the law uh, in all the right ways. But let me uh, read uh, an encounter that Jesus had in Mark chapter 10. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept since my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Uh, And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible. Uh, with God. Um, This is the definitive story for those of us who struggle with New Year's resolutions and for those of us who have children uh, who have gone uh, far off uh, and friends who have gone far off to find themselves, as they say. Um, The first thing that we encounter is uh, a rich young man and um, he's a man of authority, even though he's young, and he has a lot of money. And, uh, and he asked Jesus, uh, what can I do to inherit the kingdom of God, right? What is it that I can do to get right? What is it that I can do to make things better? What is it that I can do uh, to fulfill uh, my wildest dreams and ambitions? And what we find is up until now, he thinks he's pretty much got it squared away. And so what he's looking for is this, any little bit of advice that Jesus can give him. And Jesus says, you know the commandments. Um, 
Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your mother and father. Now, obviously, this guy was not around when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, right? What he said about murder is if you hate your brother in your heart, you're just as guilty as the guy who pulled the trigger. Uh, and if you uh, have looked uh, with lust in your eyes at another, uh, you've already committed adultery. But he obviously missed that lesson. And furthermore, do you notice, like, as if some of the commandments were a little bit easier than others, if you could break them down, these are the easier ones, right? You know, this guy probably could say, hey, never killed anybody. I've not committed adultery. I've not stolen anything. I've not borne false witness publicly about anyone. I've not defrauded anyone. And I've honored my mom and dad. I've got them in St. Anne's and Buckhead. It's lovely. It's great. And, um, and he really is thinking, you know, teacher, all these things that I've done in my youth, look, I'm rich, I've got it going on, I'm an upright, moral, contributing citizen of society, think about what I can do for you, right? And the disciples are probably thinking the same thing. Look, this guy's got smarts, we don't. This guy's got money, we don't. I mean, this guy can help us set up some franchises in like Jericho and maybe up in uh, Nazareth, it's going to be great. And, um, and yet what Jesus does is he pushes on the bruise and he says, you lack one thing. And the guy's like, okay, here it is. This is what I'm ready for. Uh, go and sell all you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And it says the man went away disheartened. Elsewhere, in another one of the Gospels, it says that Jesus loved the man. Uh, Jesus loved the man and said this. Um, and uh, what he's doing is he's pushing on the bruise because this man thought the very best thing that I have to offer Jesus is the very thing that he wants me to let go of. The very best thing that I have to offer Jesus is in fact the thing that he is asking me to let go of, which means what I thought I had to offer him in terms of obedience, in terms of discipleship, in terms of gifting, uh, turns out to be the thing he doesn't want me to do. Um, and so the very bedrock, the very foundation of this man's life, which in and of itself was a good thing. There's nothing wrong with wealth. Jesus says that. Uh, but what he's saying, look, is if you love something, uh, even if it's a good gift from God, this is the nature of idolatry, uh, and it becomes your foundation, that's problematic. And um, Jesus is given the opportunity to press on this man's bruise, which up till now he was wholly unaware of. Instead of a bruise, he thought it was something worth sharing. Uh, and I bet you if Jesus said, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your money and I want you to invest it in such a way that the poor can live off the interest. I think the guy would have said, that's what I'm talking about. All right. right. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, but instead he says, I want you to go and give it away so that you have no handle on it. Um, and then he goes away sad. I mean, you can imagine this guy. Everybody's looking because they know who he is. He's a person of significance. And then he begins to walk away. And everybody just watches him. And they watch him. And they watch him. And they watch him until he just sort of goes over the horizon. And I'm reading this thinking, go after him. Right? Why isn't Jesus going after him? You know, saying, hey, come here. You know, put your arm, you know, let's, let's talk about this. Let's, let's talk it out. But in fact, he still wasn't, this rich young man wasn't ready to hear the gospel because for the first time he finally had to deal uh, with sin uh, in his life. And up till now he didn't think it was a sin. He thought, this is me. This, I mean, it really went to the very heart and core of his being. 
If you said, you know, hey, who are you? He would say, I'm rich, I'm young, and I'm a ruler. Uh, that's what it is. That's what I am. And Jesus says to him here, uh, in fact, um, you're none of those things. Uh, and the law is the great equalizer. Um, all of us are in the same boat. Uh, all of us have specks in our eyes. Uh, and Jesus judges him in such a way and applies the law in such a way that he's without excuse. He doesn't have anything to say because he knows uh, that Jesus is right. Uh, for I did a little teaching series a couple years ago called Unlikely Converts and, uh, you know, little ones like um, where we don't really know what exactly happened to the person. But often in the New Testament, if you ever read and all of a sudden in one of the Gospels or in Acts, it mentions somebody's name who doesn't really need to be mentioned. Right. Like I'm thinking one of them that I talked about was Malchus. Anybody know who Malchus is? Malchus is the servant of the high priest who, when they went to arrest Jesus, Peter chopped his ear off. Uh, and Jesus picks up his ear and heals Malchus's ear. Now, why didn't uh, the gospel simply say, guy came, Peter chopped his ear off, that stinks, uh, but Jesus healed him, praise the Lord, and then he was arrested and hauled away. Uh, but he goes out of his way to mention his name. And often what we find is um, the same is true of um, uh, the sons of Simon of Cyrene who helped Jesus carry the cross. Uh, the, the gospel writer mentions their names. And they're just people in the crowd. Uh, well, um, it's probably because, um, and it is in most cases, because they became Christians. And it's sort of a way for the gospel writer to say, hey, if you don't believe me, go ask Malchus. You know who he is. You've heard of him. He's in the church. Uh, and so uh, I did a series on these sort of unlikely converts like Malchus. And I talked about the rich young ruler. Uh, because there is a part of me that really prays and hopes uh, that... Um, the rich young ruler became a Christian. That there was, in fact, a time where the gospel was applied to him and his eyes were opened and his life was changed. And what gives me hope is it says, when Jesus says, yeah, you're right, with man this is impossible. It is impossible. That man left with impossibility in his mind, uh, but not with God. For all things are possible with God, even the salvation of that rich young man who was walking down the street. Um, and so uh, that really is us um, when it comes to New Year's resolutions. Uh, if it's something that we think that is going to improve us uh, to the point that um, uh, it is going to make uh, our lives exactly what it ought to be. If, hey, if you're running, um, uh, more power to you. And um, just don't run by my house because it puts ideas in people's minds. Um, 2819 Berwick Road. Uh, and um, I think that that's great. And if it's a chance for you to unwind, I'm a golfer. And that's kind of where I'm able to get away and, and think about things and put things in perspective. And some people hate golf and think it's a total waste of time. Um, but uh, when we are looking to improve ourselves, uh, to resolve, uh, to solve our problems, um, I hope that we, uh, you know, uh, fail gloriously. You know, in the words of that great uh, theologian, uh, Neil Young, uh, it's better to burn out than to fade away. And uh, I hope that, um, that this uh, New Year's, um, that we would put our resolutions in proper perspective. Again, there's nothing wrong uh, in and of themselves. Um, but um, 
that we would not find uh, a solution to our problems in ourselves, uh, but that we would lean uh, on Jesus Christ. And this is not just true of, uh, I'll say this one last thing, it's not just true of uh, how we do resolutions. Um, Our whole lives are full of resolutions. Uh, I make lists of things to do. Have any of y'all ever finished a list in your life? Uh, And when I look at the list, it only reminds me of what I haven't done and what I'm not going to get done. And uh, so uh, life is hard, folks, and uh, life is uh, no respecter of persons. And um, if uh, we want to resolve uh, to solve our problems ourselves, uh, life at every turn, uh, whether it is a resolution or whether it's our day-to-day, it's going to kick us in the teeth. Uh, And yet, uh, while we are sitting on the ground broken, uh, there is one who comes and puts us back together, uh, not through anything that we are able to do, but allows us to rest in the knowledge uh, that uh, we are his. And and that is enough uh, to make things okay. It makes it okay not to finish your list. It makes it okay to eat the cheesecake. It makes it okay to decide to sleep in instead of running uh, because we are no longer under the law, uh, but we are under the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Questions, comments, concerns? Really? Now what happens is after class, people are going to come up to me and ask me a really good question. Yeah, I'm going to kind of get to that next week. Yeah, I'm going to get to that next week. Next week I'm going to talk about resolutions and relationships, like husband-wife type things. But the Teflon, I mean, the whole idea is that anytime you throw a resolve at the heart, it's going to bounce off. It's not going to take root. Uh, And if it does take root, it's going to have to be pulled out because it will begin to dominate things, you know, um, uh, your quest for success or whatever it might be. And so... um, uh, I guess, you know, Jesus uses um, a parable saying, you know, uh, it's people's hearts are like rocky ground, good soil and shallow soil, and the gospel is sown about. And, um, and I think, um, you know, some of it, it takes root for a little bit, springs up, and then withers out. Some of it's so rocky, it never takes root. Uh, and other is good, rich soil. But in order for that to happen, the Holy Spirit has to plow up our hearts, right? It has to go from Teflon to cast iron, in a, how many metaphors could I possibly use? Um, um, so um, our, our hearts by nature are Teflon, and anything you throw at them is simply going to bounce off. It's not going not to take root in the way that it needs to. And if it does happen to take root, it's probably not a good thing if it's not the gospel. Right. Yeah, um, you know, I, if you look at, um, I mean, you've all you've all been over to people's houses that have small children come over to mine, and uh, and and you think what that child needs is a uh, wearing out, and uh, and they're kind of running around like a wild or restaurants. Forget my house. Let's just go to a restaurant, um, you know. And the kids are running all over the restaurant, and you're thinking, why isn't someone, parents, stopping those children from being wild? And uh, now it may be that the parents are just worn out and they don't care. And as long as the kids are over there, that's fine. Um, But, uh, you know, there are things that we can do when we apply the gospel too soon. If their little hearts are not broken, um, then it's just going to be licensed. Um, You know, if if you you punish a child and say, you know, uh, our big threat in the house, 
time out. I mean, how many times are we going to threaten time out before we actually do it? And by that point, it's, it's over. Um, and so uh, what we've done is we've just kind of told our, it's like a wink and a nod. Now when you get older, it becomes more problematic. Um, when you have children that uh, are constantly um, coming home and, um, you know, are only coming home when they're in a bind. And, um, and you can't help but love your children. But how do you love them in such a way um, that, um, that they're able to actually just come to grips with reality? Uh, and I think the answer to that is, is in some cases you have to turn them over to God because we're incapable of discerning that. Because our propensity is going to be, I want to help you at the wrong time. Or now it's time for a teaching moment, which is... But I think it is probably best to always err on the side of grace. Right? Yeah. Andrew, can you push it a little bit further when you were talking about let the law work on the children? Right. Or anybody. I mean, the let the law do its work and then be there with, with the gospel. Right. Um... I mean, as a preacher, I'm, I have to be careful because I'm always quick to put the law out there and say, okay, now let's hurry up and get to the good news. Um, when in some case, you know, I need, to, I need to be reminded. I mean, there are, there are things that I'm totally blind to and I need the bruise pushed on. And, um, and I have to be brought to a point where, listen to the sermon this morning, where I repent, um, not simply because... You know, it's something that I ought to do, but like actually it turns out that this sin is really eating me alive. And the funny thing is, is just when you think that you've gotten over one sin, like sin B is waiting in the wings, right? And you didn't even know about it. And as you know, it, it rushes in. And so life is, for the Christian, just constant repentance and saying uh, this burden is, you know, it's, it's intolerable, it's grievous unto me, and I cannot handle it. And as hard as I try, there's nothing that I can do um, to stop doing what I'm doing. And um, if y'all get a chance to listen to the White Horse Inn every once in a while, there was a great uh, episode that I listened to a couple, about a month or so ago on repentance. And the, they sent Shane Rosenthal, who's their kind of gopher, to, um, to a conference of evangelical pastors. And he went around to each every pastor he could find and asked them two questions. One was, if you sin after you become a Christian, will you lose your salvation? And everybody said, no, of course not. But then they asked, well, what if you sin habitually after you're a Christian? And then they started saying, well, I mean, if it's habitual sin, there's probably a problem. And, and I, you know, I was ready to drive off the road at that point because I thought, what sin isn't habitual, right? How many times do you have to lie to be a liar? How many times do you have to murder to be a murderer? Um, and I think the Christian life is the, the longer you walk on the road of life with the Lord, the more you realize, I'm a total and complete wreck. And the more you actually, you find yourself repenting more uh, the older you get. I mean, one of my uh, favorite passages from the New Testament is John chapter 8, where uh, the woman is caught in adultery. And do you remember who the first people to leave were? When they begin to put their stones down, who said it? The oldest. The oldest. And John went out of his way to say that. Why? Because they were much more in touch with what was going on in their own hearts uh, than the younger ones. So uh, I think the law continues to do its work on us as Christians, uh, but, but we also know that, that we have a Savior that we can turn to immediately. And, um, but 
the repentance is not uh, turning, meaning amendment of life, but is actually, if there's anywhere to turn in repentance, it's just to Jesus. Like that's all you can do and come to him and say the opposite of what the rich young ruler said. Paul Zoll used to say, you never come to Christ until your life is an absolute Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about the 12-step idea that right. nothing ever gets better until you hit five? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, 12 steps, has, there's a lot of insight there into the human condition. And, um, yeah, I, I don't, you know, uh, he who has forgiven much um, forgives much, uh, right? And, um, and I think when you come to grips with what you've really been forgiven uh, of, uh, then you really begin to understand the depths of God's love for you. Um, you know, as children, when you pray for, you know, forgiveness of sin, what do you pray for? You know, I'm sorry that I hit my sister, right? I'm sorry. I mean, it's, uh, it's action-oriented uh, when all of a sudden as you get older, hopefully the Holy Spirit intervenes and you begin to see the problem is yourself, right? Not any outward action or anybody else uh, but yourself. And I think that, um, that, yeah, God does bring everybody to a place, uh, a critical moment where they have to completely let go of the situation and, um, and trust wholly on Christ. Um, that's why you know, this often happens in marriage. We're going to talk about this next week. Um, you know, I didn't realize how sinful and selfish I was until I got married. And uh, then I had kids and started over again. Uh, but, you know, uh, the Bible uses marriage as an illustration of God's love for his church for a reason. Um, and, um, and it, you know, it really uh, plays itself out there uh, where you find yourself in terms of uh, where you are in your marriage, where you've done something, which may in fact be totally uh, awful, and, and yet a, a spouse forgives you. And, then you're just, and that's even on a small scale compared to how God deals with us. So we're going to talk about that a little bit next week. Any other questions? You're a very smart and articulate group. Um, take note, Gil. Uh, and uh, all right, well, let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, that in this uh, season of New Year, Lord, that we would be given uh, not just fixed up hearts, but new hearts uh, that love and serve you. And Lord, uh, that we would keep our resolutions in perspective. Uh, Lord, that we would treat our bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but Lord, that we would not root our life uh, in those resolutions, but we would be ever turning uh, toward you, the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.